This is Adele Ravella, and you're listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast. I'm your host, Douglas Burdett, and my goal in this podcast is to help you discover new ideas about what's working in modern marketing to help make you a more successful marketer. Don't worry about taking notes. I'm going to do that for you, and you can find them at marketingbookpodcast.com. Today, I'm joined by Adele Ravella, author of Buyer Personas, How to Gain Insight into Your Customer's Expectations, Align Your Marketing Strategies, and Win More Business. Adele is the CEO and founder of Buyer Persona Institute and a leading authority on buyer personas. Through her company's research and workshops, Adele's buyer persona methodology has become the gold standard for thousands of marketers in hundreds of global companies. She's widely recognized as a marketing and business leadership speaker, consultant, blogger, and workshop facilitator. In her career, Adele has seen the marketing discipline from all sides as an executive, a consultant, a trainer, and an entrepreneur. Adele, congratulations on Buyer Personas, and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thanks so much, Douglas. I am very, it's very great to be here today. I, I love talking about this topic, so thanks for inviting me. Well, and I guess uh, I should disclose to the audience that I love talking about it too, and a couple years ago I went through some of your training, so I've been long awaiting this book, and I'm a big uh, fan of, of uh, Buyer Personas, and I just had to laugh when I read the dedication to the book. <laughs> and it said, this book is dedicated to every marketer who questions the wisdom of making stuff up. <laughs> that's correct. Yeah. I just loved it. I'm glad you did. I, I meant to get a laugh. Of course, I was, I had just finished the exhausting activity of writing a book and I had to write the dedication and it's just, it just came out and I had ample time to change it, of course. And I said, nope, that's, that's who this book is for. Well, so. it really resonated with me and David Merriman Scott, who wrote the forward uh, or the introduction to your book, uh, who's also written the new rules of sales and service and who's been on the marketing podcast. He talks about this same thing and he refers to it as MSU. And sometimes the S is not stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so anyway, well, tell us the story of what led to this book. Well, it's, it's a long story. It's a 30 year story, but, um, I'll, I'll just, well, we don't have to break for commercials or anything. Yeah. So. <laughs> the, I'll give you the edited version of it. So 30 years ago, when I started in tech industry marketing, working for this company that marketed Apple computers, as a matter of fact, uh, I learned that if I interviewed buyers before I made a marketing decision, that it was almost like cheating. Like I didn't have to go make stuff up, I didn't have to guess about what to say or how to position my product, that I could reflect back to buyers what they wanted to hear and it just solved a lot of problems, particularly because I, in my 30-year career I was always marketing really complex products where there were so many options about what I could talk about and so throughout my career from that, that job and years for, as an individual contributor and then as a marketing and sales executive for 11 years and then later leading a workshop for pragmatic marketing about how to do effective product marketing, I, I passed out the wisdom that it worked for me, go interview your buyers, 
find out what they want to hear about your solution and then feed that back from to them and they'll be much more likely to buy from you and so in the last five years I started Buyer Persona Institute because I saw that companies didn't know how to do that correctly. And David, since you mentioned David Meerman Scott, had been bugging me to write this book. And I kept saying, David, I'm too busy. I don't want to write a book. I had all these excuses. And finally, David just pushed me so hard. I said, okay, David, just to get you off my back, I'll write the book. So that's really what happened. Well, it's hard to tell David Merriman Scott, I can imagine that you're too busy to write a book, and he's written ten, I believe. I know, I know. <laughs> he's, he's, yeah. He, of course, he isn't running a company the size of the company I'm running. But yes, David ha- is amazing. And and what a lot of people don't know is David actually worked for me uh, back in the time when I was leading those workshops, and David and I first met when he was working for me and when he was writing the new roles of marketing and PR. And so David and I have a long history and. And uh, so, yeah, he was, you know, he put a lot of pressure on me. But frankly, I knew I needed to write this book because I saw so much I continue to see, and it drives me nuts, all of this misinformation and sort of, you know, poor attempts to build buyer personas. And I thought, you know, I've got to go build the definitive guide to not only how to build buyer personas, but how to use them. Because uh, so many people are building them incorrectly, and then they've got a bunch of them, you know, dozens of them maybe, and they don't know how to use them. And they come to me and I say, you know, you didn't get the right information in them from the get-go. You built too many. You didn't get the right insights. And now, frankly, they're not very usable. So I realized that, it, that this book needed to be written. Let me ask you to explain what a buyer persona is and also what a buyer persona is not. I think there's a lot of misperception out there. Yeah, and you know, the simple answer is that it's an example of the people that you need to influence through your marketing activities. And, and that's kind of what all of, all of the data that you see and all the advice you get about buyer personas, that's what it all has in common. The problem is, is that that simple answer misses the essential point about, now, what do you need to know about that buyer? And uh, so in our methodology, we don't start with just describing your buyer. We start by conducting interviews with buyers to understand how they make a particular decision. I mean, precisely the decision that you want to influence. And then we go describe the people who made that decision. And so this has a large impact on the usability of buyer personas, which is probably what we're going to talk more about here. But in terms of just describing what is a buyer persona, where people are getting caught up and and really sort of losing their way around buyer personas is when they stop with the idea that they need to describe the buyer and their problems and their goals and their pain points because that information is so generic and so obvious that it doesn't solve the problem the marketer has of telling them precisely and giving guidance around how to make a decision that's around how do I market what I'm trying to sell to this guy. And so we really haven't solved a problem with those kind of buyer personas. And this is, this is causing a lot of trouble around this topic. It seems like it's more of 
going back to a scene of the crime <laughs> rather than asking somebody to describe what they thought happened. And there was a line in your book that talked about how there's a difference between knowledge and insight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite books is The Art of Insight, um, How to Have More Aha Moments. Forgive me for not remembering the author's name. But, you know, insight is a word, it's kind of like paradigm, you know, it gets used too much and then it doesn't mean anything anymore. <laughs> or branding. Yeah, or brand. I mean, we could, we could do a whole dissertation on words that don't mean anything anymore. But insight, according to, you know, it to me means something really specific. And it's that moment in time when a problem I've been trying to resolve, and there's a whole chapter on this in the book, all of a sudden the answer is clear to me. And this is the purpose of buyer personas. And if, you're, if your buyer personas aren't revealing or creating aha moments for you where you go, oh my gosh, that's what I need to do, or that's what I need to say, or that's what's preventing buyers from choosing me, which starts to get into our five rings of buying insight. If you aren't getting that from your buyer personas and you aren't getting aha moments, then you don't, you're not achieving the objective. Mm -hmm. Another great line from the, the book was, we don't make up personas so much as we discover them. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, these are real people, folks. And, and so to your point about this is a little bit like a crime scene, you know, a little bit of forensics here. Mm -hmm. The best, if we want to understand or if we want to persuade people to buy from us and not to buy from our competitors or to live with the status quo, then it just makes sense to me that we ought to go interview people who have just made that decision and find out what motivated them to do that. Is this another kind of qualitative research? How, how is it different? It is qualitative research in, in the purely, you know, specific way that we mean qualitative research. But, and, and that it's, and it's not quantitative, so it's not a survey, right? Mm -hmm, right. But it's a different kind of qualitative research. And this is another sort of bugaboo or problem that I really wanted to deal with in the book, and I do extensively, is that this is an unscripted interview. And most approaches to qualitative research, and people are doing this with our templates, making me crazy, is they're scripting interviews around what they want to know. And instead, what we want to buy, how you build a buyer persona is that you go into this conversation with this buyer who's made this decision with a completely open mind and with the opportunity to find out something amazing that you didn't realize affects their decision by just having a conversation with them. No script, no questions, and not asking what you care about, but finding out what they care about. Mm -hmm. And you talk in the book about how there's really only one question that's ever scripted. Yep. The very first question, take me back to the day when you first decided to evaluate this kind of solution and tell me what happened on that day. And just for fun, when I play with people in an audience, I'll say, take, you know, are you planning a great vacation? Take me back to the day when you first decided that now was the time to plan a great vacation. Tell me what happened. And then people in the room have no trouble imagining that they could just talk to that person about what they did to figure out where they're going to go, where are they going to stay, how are they going to get there, what are they going to do when they get there. And it sort of frees people up around this idea that this is a scary thing or something that's mysterious. Mm -hmm. And it also really distinguishes what we do when we sit down with a template or a script and try to ask people questions. Okay, I'm going to borrow that. 
<laughs> that approach. Um, okay. Now, can you talk about who should be interviewed and who should not be interviewed? Yeah, I, I mean, it's important that you interview people who have actually made a buying decision and evaluated a solution like yours. And that, you know, and what we want you to do is talk to people who chose you. But even more importantly, we want you to talk to people who chose a competitor or to do nothing at all. Because um, a lot of companies get caught up in, in, you know, I did this too, voice of the customer initiative, we have customer panels, we talk to the people who are best customers. Those people are biased Mm -hmm. uh, by their experience using your product and by their relationship with your company. What you want as a marketer is to talk to people who are the people you actually need to persuade and those are people who by and large didn't choose you and don't love you and maybe don't love your salespeople or have relationships with your salespeople. Mm -hmm. And I've heard of some organizations that interview their salespeople for buyer persona research. And can you explain why that's not always a good idea? Yeah, there's a super good explanation for that. And that is that, first of all, salespeople more and more are getting involved in buying decisions very late in the buyer's decision cycle. So if you ask them to take you back to the day when, you know, do that scripted question, Mm -hmm. they couldn't tell you because they weren't there. And then they weren't there for maybe up to 50 to 60 to 70 (laughs) percent of that buying decision. So they weren't there. And then furthermore, so they don't have information. And then furthermore, and this is probably the most critical reason, buyers don't tell the salespeople the truth. They withhold information because they don't want to be manipulated by disclosing too much. And so it's really, it needs to be, you need to interview the real buyers and not your salespeople. Mm -hmm. Now I'll see people who are doing some buyer persona research. And I've even seen an ebook somebody had about 99 questions to ask your buyer persona and it had things like you know what kind of music do you like and what kind of barbecue sauce do you like and it's just (laughs) there's so much extraneous nonsense out there or or excuse me so much extraneous data that's not relevant to uh doing buyer persona research can you talk a bit about in the remaining time here the five rings of insight what are really really important for buyer persona research Yeah, so my five rings of buying insight are based on a really simple idea. When I was a sales rep and when I ran sales, I realized that, and later when I got into marketing, that in selling, what I'm trying to do is find out just five things about a particular account. And if I know those five things, I can win that business almost every time. I can prepare to overcome their objections and so forth. So when we built the framework, I wanted marketers to have the same insights about a market full of buyers that salespeople have about one buyer at a time. And this is what they are. First, what happens on the day when your buyer suddenly decides this is the day I've got to make it a priority to go invest in a solution like this? I'm going to stop other things I'm doing. I'm going to find the budget and the time to go invest in this. That's the first insight. The second insight is what we call the success factor insight. And we find this out by asking buyers throughout their story, what did they do to include and exclude different solutions from their consideration set? And as we're walking them through their story, as they go from eight different op- eight options down to six, down to four, down to one, they'll tell us the next that success factor insight, meaning what were the outcomes that were most critical to them 
and they'll start to highlight the outcomes that certain providers couldn't deliver. Some of this will get into perceived barriers insight, our third insight, which is what we often call the bad news insight, the reasons that buyers don't choose you or why they can't make an investment in this category of solution at all. The fourth insight, we call it the decision criteria insight, also comes out of that discussion about how buyers decided which solutions to include and exclude. Is they'll say, well, you know, well, we excluded these three because they didn't have this capability, or we included these five because they did have this capability, or we saw a demo and what they didn't show us was X, Y, and Z. And what we get into is very specific attributes of the product or the company and we show you those in the decision criteria insight so that your messaging can go beyond benefits and get into the unique capabilities that you can deliver that your buyers investigating as they eliminate options from their consideration set. And then the fifth insight, which is the one that everyone's talking about, is the buyer's journey insight. And of course, that one tells you who's involved in the buying decision, who really has the most impact on each phase of the buying decision and what resources do the buyers trust as they're going through their journey. So the biggest problem we see is that buyer personas tend to focus on the buyer profile or describing the buyer and the buyer's journey, but they're missing those four insights around the triggers, the success factors, the perceived barriers, and the decision criteria. And those are the key insights that our buyer, our customers use to define their messaging and their content strategy. It really helps to cut through so much of the extraneous information that's not helpful. One of the larger implications for marketers, the people listening to this, is that buyer personas can actually help unite marketing and sales together. And you also talk about how this buyer persona expertise can help raise the profile and the credibility of marketers within organizations. Yeah, so as an executive who ran both sales and marketing and, you know, who's just worked with, I don't know, hundreds of companies that are going through reorgs and trying to figure out the, and marketers, you know, I mean, I'm a marketing person, really, and the marketers just don't get enough respect in their organization. And so we're always trying to reorg things and align sales and marketing and so forth. And these are, these are important. Aberdeen's got great statistics about how much uh, more revenue companies generate when their sales and marketing efforts are aligned. Mm-hmm. But but at the at the end of the day, how do you get there from here? And here's my premise. If, you know, the one thing that marketing and salespeople have in common is the need to persuade people to buy from them. And yet, when we get together as a team, are we talking about what's in the way of that happening? Are we talking about why buyers don't buy and why they do? And and then sort of having anything where any actions we're taking grounded in that discussion? Or are we just, you know, standing in front of the salespeople saying, here's our white paper and here's our campaign? So it really alters the conversation fundamentally when marketers can get up in front of salespeople and say, we've been interviewing buyers and here's what we, here's who we know wants to meet with us. Here's who we know doesn't want to meet with us. Here's why. Here's the positives that we've, we're emphasizing and why it's grounded in this interview data. Here's the objections you're going to have to overcome and that's grounded in the interview data. And here's the journey. Here's who gets involved in each step in the buying process. Who's going to like us? Who isn't? All of a sudden, the relationship between sales and marketing is just altered 
fundamentally mm-hmm. altered. And you talk about how a marketing person could say, well, I spoke to some buyers last week. Yeah. <laughs> here's where, here's where it's going. And it's, it's interesting to me for many reasons, but one of them is that my sense is that companies don't know as much about the buyers as they think they do. And you also talk in your book about how to get over this common objection of, well, we already know about our buyer. Mm-hmm. Yes. That, that was a very helpful part of the, of the book for any marketer that's trying to explain how to introduce this concept. And of course, a lot of it has to do with change, which <laughs> frightens people. Let me wrap up with a couple of questions about uh, books. Okay. Are there any business or marketing books uh, you've read recently that you might recommend? And you ask that of every author you interview, Douglas? I mean, seriously? Um, it, you know, I don't know about the other authors you talk to, but I've been too darn busy writing a book to read a book. And so... <laughs> Maybe that's I, the first honest answer I've gotten. Yeah, I... Well, it I, could have been two years ago that they yeah, read these books. Yeah, it's, it's been a while. Well, I, you know... It's, I can't imagine I, writing a book, so I, I understand that answer. It's just horrible. It really is. Uh, no, I'm serious. I, I am, am grateful to have had the opportunity, especially to have Wiley publish my book. That was part of the motivation to, to write it, was to have a big publisher mm-hmm. behind the book. But I haven't had a chance to read anything in a long time, other than occasionally I'll go read something for fun just to give my brain a rest. Hmm. Well, you'll have to listen to the Marketing Book Podcast to get some ideas of... Um... <laughs> What book to listen to? Are there any books on your upcoming reading list now that you're finished with yours? Yeah, I, I actually really want to read. There's two books I want to read. I really want to read Anne Hanley's book, Everyone Writes, because, you know, I mean, especially after been through this writing experience. And I love Anne and I just, I, I'm dying to read her book. And the other one is a book by Clayton Christensen that's, I'm not sure I'd call it a marketing book. It's called The Innovator's Dilemma. Mm-hmm. Oh, famous book, yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very interested in reading that. A lot of people who are reading what I'm writing are recommending that book to me. And so even though it's not a marketing book, I think there must be a lot of parallels. How do you keep up with what's going on in, in the business world? Do you read blogs or, or what do you do? Yeah, I, you know, I, first of all, I do subscribe to the Wall Street Journal and to Harvard Business Review, and I scan the content that they send to me every day. But more importantly, I'd say, I, you know, I, I use Google Alerts. It's, you know, old technology here. But uh, I have alerts out for, th- for topics that my audience, that my readers, that, you know, our buyers are reading about. And then I scan that every day to see what people are saying as a way for a little bit of a way for me to kind of make sure I'm staying up on what people are saying about buyer personas and Mm -hmm. content marketing. And, and now I can kind of jump into whatever forum at the moment is having the conversation that I'm interested in. Hmm. Well, that's an interesting way. It's, it's a, a fire hose we're all dealing with <laughs> and the, yeah. how to how to manage that and make sure we don't miss out on the good things. Well, Adele, I don't think there's any secret sauce as it relates to marketing, but I think that buyer personas come pretty darn close. So thank you very much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast. And thank you so much for having me, Douglas. I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, that closes the book on another episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. Links to everything mentioned are in the show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And while you're there, make sure to subscribe to the podcast newsletter so you can get notified of every new episode, show notes, links, resources, and the occasional free stuff. 
Also, at marketingbookpodcast.com, there are about 20 free, super helpful marketing ebooks on a wide variety of topics. And if you don't see what you need, let me know. If you've left a review in iTunes or Stitcher, I want to thank you. It's amazing how much a one-sentence review boosts the visibility of the podcast so more folks like you can discover it. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Till next time. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.